available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site. On the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Together, we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got some uh, interesting stuff coming up today. We're going to talk to the publishers, the Arizona schools, and the Mountain schools about some of the changes in the offseason Teams look a lot different than they did a couple of months ago, David. Like they sure lot, do. A lot different. They sure do. I'm particularly excited to talk about one of these teams. I'm not going to tell you which one. Okay. But there's one of them that I'm very excited about. Awesome. So we're going to talk to, uh, ASU, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado today. Just props to our our network because I love our our Pac-12 network. Very strong. I sent out an email, or, or Dave and I jointly decided last night to send out an email. Yes. Um, and they all responded. Well, Brian asked me, what do you want to talk about today on the podcast? And I laid out this beautiful plan. Uh, maybe we could structure it so that we talk to a third of the publishers uh, tomorrow, then another third of them next week, and then the final third the following week. Um and Ryan was like, okay, I concur, but how do you want to go about getting it? And I was like, here, let me work out a plan, a communication mm. plan. And it was amazing. It was beautiful the way it worked out. What was the actual email you responded? I, mean, I, I responded with, what do you want to talk about tomorrow? And I said, Encanto. Yeah. Is this like a show or a movie or something? It's a, it's a, geez, it's a, it's, know. it's the latest Disney film. Oh, okay. The latest yeah. Disney film. So that's yeah. what he wanted to talk about. I went a different route, and so yeah, we, you know, I thought we could kind of dive into some of these offseason stuff. So I thought we could get um, all the teams at least touched on before spring football starts, and then, you know, we'll see what these, you know, the coaching staffs are different, rosters are different. Some people are hitting the transfer portal hard. Really interested to talk about Arizona because holy cow, that's what I'm saying, man. They're uh, they're making some some changes and stuff. But props to uh, all the publishers because they were super responsive. And uh, we're excited to bring all of those to you today. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, you know, send us a question. It could be about, what was that Disney movie? Encanto. 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 It means enchantment. Okay. Why don't they just call it that? There's probably like a lot of movies because called Because it. it's uh, based, I think, in Colombia. Oh. Oh, that's cool. So we got another like a... Yeah. We got some... It made more Latin flavor in the Disney film. Uh, it's, it's got a bunch of flavor to it. It's yeah. great. It's... Uh, so here's what I would say about Encanto. I'm just going to give it a tee up top. Okay. Uh, it's a trifle. It's minor. It's low key. It's not like... You're not... It's not a seminal experience like Frozen or Moana. Mm. It's, it's... It is what it is. It goes into its bucket. For what it is, it's very good. But it's not... You're not getting iconic villains here. You're not getting iconic, uh, iconic characters. You're just getting... You know, grounded, good family drama. Okay. Um, speaking of Moana, yeah, I just got back from Hawaii. I was really hoping you could have made it out and uh, could I get to hang with your boy Brandon Huffman. I know Greg Biggins. So what? What? Chris what, Singleton, what the people don't know him. is is it was very close. I had a flight booked. To you go were going to go to Hawaii, and then you know life happened. 
Right. So we didn't get to do a show. I said you were in your own personal transfer portal. I, I constantly am, and nobody <laughs> nobody is biting. Nobody nobody wants a piece of this. All right, but if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we got some questions again today. Pack twelve podcast at gmail.com's email address or call or text us at four two four five three two zero six seven eight. You can tweet us at Pack Twelve Podcast. The website where we put up the show is pod, uh, pack12podcast.com and over on Reddit, Reddit slash r slash podcast of champions, chat with other POC listeners and Pac-12 fans. Uh, if you got the Apple Podcasting app, please rate and follow us there. Leave us a five-star review. We love that. Now you can do this on Spotify too. You can't leave a review, but you can leave a rating on Spotify. So I know a lot of our Android users are using Spotify. I use Spotify sometimes too, listen to stuff. So if you're on Spotify... And you're listening to POC, leave us five stars there as well. And then download Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Don't be lazy. Okay. Uh, Ratings on both. What the hell? Yeah. There's So I guess you can't do reviews on Spotify, but at least you can. They need to do that. Like I used to use the, when I had an Android Google podcast, they didn't have a rating system either. So that's where Apple kind of nails it. I mean, they nail a lot of stuff, but. Yeah. And also you don't have the stupid green bubbles when you text somebody. Right. That's true. It is weird. Like now that I, I feel like now that I have a yeah. IPhone, now, do you have do you have like the one family group text where like one person is still on like a Google phone? Oh, it, and it screws everything up for everyone. Like the pictures <laughs> come in small for some reason. Yes. like everything is awful. You, so my uscfootball.com staff, like Shotgun, has a Android. He's uh, the only he one. Seems, he seems like an Android guy. I was an Android guy for a long time too, but I got you know we got it now. Uh, you know what's cool though? I was on the plane like on United. Um, you yeah, can, you can iMessage. You can iMessage on a plane, right? Yeah. So it's you free. know what you can't do the can't stupid text. green bubble shit. <laughs> you can't text, so you can only message other iPhone users. But if you have like Facebook Messenger or Instagram Messenger, you can use that too. But not, um, I don't. Know, I think I think you can use those. But yeah, only iMessage. So it's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, my iPad too. I can pull up, but it only messages on my iPad. Doesn't have like cellular or whatever. You know, like so I can only like uh, you know iMessage on that one. So it's not like full text message. I don't know. It's weird. I'm figuring this stuff out. Yeah, you're going for it. Uh, all right. So that's cool stuff. So we're going to, you know, I think we should just get right into. I think we should jump right in. We're going to jump right the, in. The so, water's fine. So we're going to go one by one, talk to all four publishers from uh, the the mountain and uh, desert schools, and then we'll take a break after that and we'll get into questions. All right. First up in our tour of the uh, mountain and desert schools, we have Jason Shear, who's the publisher for Wildcat Authority, of course, covering the Arizona Wildcats. And both David and I probably the most excited about talking about Arizona because, holy crap, it's like. Well, as as you know, um, Jason and Ryan, I am the world's biggest Arizona football fan, have been for a long time. Uh, um, Colorado. Well, I, I wouldn't talk about Colorado. I mean, obviously, I haven't been a big Buffalo fan forever, but uh, certainly a Wildcats fan, a uh, big, big, big Wildcats fan. So um, I'm going to start off with with a really important question um, that's very related to football. Is Tubelas playing tonight? Uh, they they aren't saying a word. I have a feeling he may, but they are in complete lockdown mode. Okay. Okay. Nice. Because I saw the line move. Did you see it go to minus three and a half? We're not talking about basketball. And then it went to minus two and a half. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I know know Jason and you would both like to talk. This is a football podcast, and they're doing great things in football. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a football podcast, so I have to talk about UCLA football occasionally. Jason, Arizona, what the hell are man and Jed Fish? Um, uh, So, uh, obviously, recruiting like like a terror out there, but what's the secret sauce? What's your impression of what he's been doing? Because, I mean, 
just so everyone knows, if you haven't been paying attention, Arizona has a top 25 recruiting class for the first time in, is it literally ever? It's, I think Mike Stoops' second year, they were like 19. Yeah, but it's freaky. I mean, transfer, he's he's winning transfer battles with like big time powers. Um, he, he got a, he got a top, what is McMillan? Top 50? Top 50 yeah. recruit at wide receiver um, who everybody wanted. He could potentially be a five-star. Like, they're literally talking about yeah. making him a five-star. Yeah, I mean, this guy's a uh, – he's a he's a he's he's somebody who could come in and play for literally anybody next year. He's going to Arizona. What's going on? Uh, they are – I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it because they were 1-11 in 11 last year. Like, they're not fooling anyone. But they – Jed Fish has basically laid out – um, a few things where, you know, he believes that they're headed in the right direction. You need players to do that. Uh, they've gotten a ton of support with the with the NIL. They've done a really, really nice job there. Um, and then just overall, it's it's all about connections. Like with T-Mac, they never land him unless they get Noah Fafita, the quarterback from Servite. And so once they got Fafita, um, T-Mac, they had a chance and they go and they get a couple other Servite kids who are friends. And um, it just kind of gains momentum there and and they've done what someone didn't do and rich rod didn't do which is basically camp out in southern california and say this is going to be where we recruit and he's hired a bunch of recruiters at every position and uh it's it's working we'll have to see what happens on the field but in terms of recruiting um i've i've never seen anything like it we've seen some different coaches get hired in this conference and uh you know when fish was hired some people were like eh, that's not going to work and you're just meeting him, you know, just talking to him at Pac-12 Media Day. You're like, I don't know if they're going to win or not, but he's going to – you knew he was going to create some buzz. And he gets an A-plus for creating buzz. Obviously, 111 is not where you want. But, I mean, it just seems like this could be one of those huge turnarounds. We saw that at Baylor. Dave Aranda comes in. They struggle, and they, you know, they win the conference the next year. I'm not saying Arizona is going to do that, but it just seems like he's built a whole bunch of momentum. that, And people are – even with the 111 season, people are still bought in and ready to roll in, you know, be a bowl eligible team potentially in 2022. Yeah. I mean, the running joke locally is that he's the best off season coach of all time because (laughs) he crushed last off season too. Yeah. He crushed it. Like he, he, like he gets out there in uh, the media and does a great job. He's in the community. Uh, He's got people on Twitter following his every word. Um, He's recruiting well. and, And there's definitely an excitement around Arizona football that there hasn't been in a while. And, um, even the people that that doubted him are started coming around, and it's not like the results are there on the field yet. But like you mentioned, the buzz surrounding Arizona football is is awesome. Like there's actual excitement. Like all he did yesterday was he tweeted that he was headed uh, recruiting and like tweeted a picture from a plane. And there's like a, a hundred post thread on the message board like where's Jetfish right now? And it's <laughs> like you know someone could have done that, and Rich Rod could have done that, and been like oh, who cares where he is? But <laughs> Um, right. you know, there's, there's just a lot of buzz around fish and, and he's done a fantastic job in the off season. So like my eyeball from like, I watched a lot of Arizona this year and then looking at who they've recruited, a lot of these dudes are going to play and probably play a lot this year. And so there's going to be some freshman lumps and everything, but, um, obviously the talent has, uh, I think in a, in a single off season, it has upgraded significantly, but where do you see still I mean, obviously there's still going to be holes, but where's like the one or two most important positions where they still need to make significant upgrades to be that Pac-12 South potential contender? Uh, the I think the O-line kind of scares me a little bit. Um, 
Donovan Lai, who a couple years ago was one of the better O-linemen in the conference, he suffered a bunch of concussions, and it's not really public public yet, but he's retiring from football um, instead of playing his last season. So they're missing a guy that at one point was was really good. They lost Josh McCauley, their starting center, to, to graduation. And so um, offensive line is is probably a question. Now they're, they're bringing in dudes, but as we know, starting a, a freshman offensive lineman is – um, extremely difficult to do and, and expect them to to play at a high level. And then D-line, they they lose two starters from last season. So they've addressed the lines and they've brought in players, but we don't know how good those guys are until they reach the field. So um, I, I think that the other upgrades are guys that are going to play right away and, and be able to succeed. But it's on both lines where I kind of say, you know what, maybe they're they're kind of a year away and they need to keep addressing that and getting these guys stronger and bigger and all that. Speaking of upgrades, Jaden Delora, like you could argue he was the best quarterback in the Pac-12 last year. Uh, he's in Arizona now. Like, is he the starter? Like, what's going on at quarterback? Yeah, there's no competition. <laughs> I mean, you, you're not that, interested in more of the Will Plummer era? <laughs> yeah. Anyone that watched Arizona at quarterback last year uh, knows, like, it was bad. I mean, there's no, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was bad. And um, you know, Noah Fafita was, was a big land for them. They like him quite a bit, but at the end of the day, he would be a freshman quarterback. And so for them to get Delora, um, they like, they believe that he's going to make their offensive line better too, because a lot of times it was just the quarterback holding onto the ball, but all of a sudden, um, the, the upgrade of the wide receiver room and they got a quarterback that's going to get them the ball. Like they love Delora. He's the starter. Um, the only drama now is who's the backup and who's going to transfer. Cause I assume one of those guys will transfer, but um, he's the guy where it, they actually kind of set it in motion. Like they were recruiting some portal guys, but they were waiting for a few guys to, you know, maybe get pushed out by their current school. And, and Delora was one of them. And as soon as he hit the portal, um, it was pretty much over. They contacted him. They said, you know, Arizona's the place laid out the NIL, um, have a few of his former teammates on the roster. And, and it moved pretty quickly. Uh, the other kind of big note from the off season were a couple of coaching changes. Uh, Don Brown, uh, left for what being the head coach at UMass. UMass. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, Arizona went ahead and, um, uh, hired the two guys who recruited for UCLA last year, Johnny Nansen and Jason Kafusi. Like both uh, guys, right? They had, they had two guys that recruited, right? Well, I'm not, I'm going to give Jerry Neuheisel <laughs> a little bit more credit than that, but yes, um, the two. The two, took both of the, them. the two best recruiters uh, <laughs> on UCLA's staff and two of the maybe three or four guys who actually recruited um, for, from to my eye, um, Johnny Nansen, obviously an upgrade at, as a recruiter over Don Brown. Uh, but Don Brown had a well-deserved reputation as a good defensive coordinator. Um, is there any worry that there's a drop off there from an X's and O's standpoint? Um, because there were times last year where. It wasn't working exactly, but you saw what you what what Arizona was doing defensively, and it made sense. And there were times where it actually looked, you know, pretty good for fits and starts there. Um, what do you expect from Johnny Nansen? Yeah, so Jed Fish basically took the approach where we could be the best coaches in the building, but if we don't have the talent, it it doesn't matter, right? And so they hired Johnny Nansen, and they for recruiting purposes mostly. And the fact that I mean, he's already landed guys. Um, in 2023, he's going to land a bunch of guys. So they said, go out and make our team better. And um, Fish trusts them with with the X's and O's a little bit. Um, they love Don Brown. Don Brown is a, a really good coach. But he was also, you kind of hinted at it, he was stubborn. Like, they kept doing the same thing. Yeah. 
whether it worked or not, that was his defense. And it's going to be a little more flexible. So like Don Brown would, you know, the safeties would be getting killed and Don Brown would just say, okay, we need to play better. And so there's going to be a little more adjusting. I think, I think fish got frustrated with Don Brown a little bit, but um, you know, Brown's obviously he's had success. He's now a head coach. Um, so they, they might be missing on the X's and O's, but the hope is that they make, make up for it by bringing in better talent, which, uh, Nansen is clearly better than Don Brown at doing. All right. That is our offseason report for Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> With our boy Jason Shear. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Shear. Uh, Wildcat Authority. Great job, Jason. I'm really excited for you. Uh, when you get this kind of buzz in the offseason, there's nothing like it, you know. So I'm very happy for you. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, good stuff on Arizona. Let's go across the state uh, to Tempe, Arizona State Sun Devils. We got Chris Cartman here. Uh, he does a great job at sundevilsource.com. Follow him at, on Twitter at sundevilsource. Chris, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Anytime for you guys. I mean, I mean, not so much you, Ryan, but David. Like, I'm really a big fan I, of David. He's such the hard worker. He but, is. I mean, I just I carry this show, and I think everyone knows it, <laughs> including Chris. He understands. Of he gets it. Uh, Chris. Uh, just a, a, a casual question. Why hasn't Herm Edwards been fired yet? <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, ASU is going to allow the NCAA process to unfold before taking any additional action against um, staff members other than the three who were suspended uh, with pay. As you guys know, the Adam Brenneman, Chris Hawkins, and Prentice Gill, that happened last August. Um, and really that happened because they had the most direct ability to implicate those three guys. And I think everything else was more, um, like they had needed to speak with a lot of people, uh, interview the NCAA was going to have to do a lot of interviews with recruits and family members and ASU staff members, et cetera. And that process, well, it's the NCAA, right? So that process doesn't. <laughs> Doesn't exactly go go fast. I, I I have heard though that they have started to interview some pe- more people at ASU, and so I'm interested to see kind of how this unspools from here. Um, it is a very serious case. Uh, numerous people have told me that they expect ASU will self-sanction pretty aggressively this year to try to get ahead of it, and that will probably include a restriction on recruiting days and calls and how coaches on the road and um, official visits and maybe even the overall scholarship number and potentially even um, uh, declining a bowl bid this season. And so when you, when you look at that being the, 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 the potential or the likely reality that they're working within that of course makes it a lot harder for her Edwards to be successful at ASU. And so I don't know that it's inevitable. I wouldn't necessarily call it inevitable that he's going to be, uh, that he will lose his job over this. I do think that he's going to have a hard time not ultimately losing his job one way or another as a result of this. If, if there was a different uh, AD or president in charge of the university or the athletic department right now, would Herm Edwards still have a job? Probably not. Uh, there's no doubt that Ray Anderson being so close to Herm Edwards and having a pre-existing relationship that led to his decision to hire him now looks like 
very questionable in retrospect. Like the given everything that ASU is accused of doing, and I think ultimately will be will demonst- will be demonstrated to have done at least um, a lot of sort of right. uh, in several rule breaking. Um, that there's no way that you can look at that as anything other than a reflection on your administration's decisions, um, especially when you have Ray Anderson when he fired Todd Graham saying that the expectation at ASU was to be a regular top 15 team nationally and top three team in the Pac-12. That was, I thought that was kind of preposterous at the time to set that out as the expectation that fans would have about your friend that you hired. Like it didn't really make a lot of sense. Did he mean top three in the Pac-12 South? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, like no team has really done that. No. Except for Utah, maybe like you could make an argument about Utah, not top 15 in the, in the, country. no, but, but in the league, like top three for the last, whatever. Yeah, sure. Sure. But, 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 but to be both of those things, it was like, it was like a ridiculous ask, you know? And, um, but so, and Ray Anderson is very close with Michael Crow, ASU's president, who I'm not entirely sure either. He either doesn't probably understand how you need to resource football to be successful or he doesn't care or some combination thereof and probably just didn't, doesn't want to be embarrassed and wants to feel good about, you know, how everyone internally sort of views what they're trying to accomplish and their sort of broader mission of the athletic department, like in the whole PAC 12 conference of champions, blah, blah, blah. By the way, we can go into a whole thing about, the how ironical that it is that you guys have your um your podcast named what it is to <laughs> to to the actual detriment of the the the, the most important sports that we all talk about every single yeah. day yeah, but that, it is irony yes we were talking about yeah. olympic sports when we came up with it <laughs> like, um my god so chris so i've covered a team that had like a sort of lame duck head coach for multiple years i don't know oh, if you have i Wait, have what which coach yes uh that was how your, many times <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, but I don't know if Herm's lame duck says, but when there's just all this uncertainty, you do see recruiting suffer. Like we've saw USC's worst recruit, two of their worst recruiting classes ever in the last three years of Clay Helton's tenure to see Arizona state 89th nationally, 11th in the PAC 12. And if you, you know, a little better with when you include the transfer rankings up to 66 nationally, but still 11th in the PAC 12, is that all because of the uncertainty? Is it Maybe it just was going to be a smaller class anyway, or what? what's the reason behind all that? There's always several factors that all kind of intersect with that stuff. But when last summer, when all this stuff started to unfold in June, they they really lost their ability to successfully recruit almost all the guys in the class that they were pursuing because uh, their coaches were suspended who were recruiting them. And uh, a lot of them were the subject of, what they are alleged to have done, which pretty much meant that they weren't going to be able to go to ASU. Oh, yeah. They like so disassociate that, themselves at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you can't like go then sign the guys, um, you know, if you were involved in sort of rule breaking around recruiting them. So, um, so that, that pretty much ensured that they were not going to be able to put together 
a very successful class, at least as I saw it. And then they did, we all know that the eligibility freeze from the 2020 season led to teams having a whole bunch of freshmen. And so when you have 40, ASU had 43 scholarship freshmen or something like that, when you include second year guys, red shirts, et cetera. Well, why do you necessarily want to add a bunch of three-star recruits who aren't as good as guys you already have on campus when that's the case? Because they're going to end up in the transfer portal anyways. Like you'll have 20 kids transfer in like a year or two. So it sort of made sense to me to sign a smaller class and then try to go hard in the transfer portal, especially when, um, you know, you call it lame duck. I don't know if it's lame duck, but it's, it's certainly, they're not really thinking that much about four years from now anymore. Right. They're thinking about how they can win as many games right now to try to save their job. Well, that's not freshmen that's, uh, plugging in spots where they lost guys. So they've, I think they've taken eight, uh, uh, D one transfers, uh, so far. And mostly it's in places where they need immediate help. They lost, they're losing three offensive line starters. They lost, uh, two, their top two running backs, uh, one of their starting linebackers or nose tackle. And they basically filled all those spots and they still need on top of that, at least a few more guys between, uh, the secondary and wide receiver and maybe even another offensive lineman. Um, beyond the, the violations beyond the recruiting, uh, one thing that strikes me as like just a shockingly bad thing to witness in real time. And also like a bad harbinger for the program. Jaden Daniels has gotten worse every year. He's been at ASU freshman year. I was ready to anoint him the chosen one. Uh, and then, you know, the second year COVID, whatever things get weird, but it was, you know, a, a downturn from the first year. And then last year he was actively, uh, a bottom half quarterback in the league, something like that. Um, his yards per attempt went way down. Uh, he's thrown a ton more picks. Um, what's the story there? Um, because I know the offense changed from his freshman year to his sophomore year with Zach Hill coming in, but uh, what's going on there? And is there a way to arrest that slide and, and get him back on the trajectory that he looked to be on from his freshman year? Yeah. So I think first a, a very slight quibble, uh, 2020, they played four games and they, you know, you're adjusting to a new offensive coordinator. Like they had all of their new, all of their skill position guys were like pretty much new. So I I think that was very difficult circumstances. And I don't, I I think that he didn't necessarily take a a step forward that year, but I, I wouldn't say that he regressed, but this, this past season, he significantly regressed. And, um, again, there were several factors, but none more, pronounced than a very clear disconnect between Zach Hill and Jane Daniels. Like those guys were not on the same page at, at all. I don't, I don't believe uh, to the point where I almost would say that there was like a, a, a real lack of trust and confidence in what they were trying to do and how Zach Hill more than any coach I've ever seen as a coordinator at the college level, he would, he would change whether he was on the field or in the press box on a game to game basis. He did it like six times last year. And that was because they were trying to find some sort of a rhythm or chemistry or relationship basis that they could sort of build from. And Trey Anderson, who was coaching quarterbacks um, sort of on an interim basis last year and is a lot younger, seems to have a better connection with Daniels, but maybe that's because he doesn't tell Daniels things that are critical. And um, I, I, I think Zach Hill, 
is needed to learn a lot from that experience with Daniels because when you when you go back to like the BYU game and they they changed how they were signaling plays, uh, and ASU had the most number of procedural penalties and other mistakes I've ever seen in a Pac-12 game, and I don't think Hill was like prepared to understand like what those challenges would be and how to sort of build up Daniels from a confidence and execution standpoint. It was like, Hey, here's, here's kind of how we're doing it. And here's how I do it. And you're going to have to fit into this box that I want you to be as a quarterback. But then Daniels perhaps recognizing that this was the way that Hill was, he sort of rebelled against that to almost like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that, that just was that utterly failed. Um, there was many games when I'm watching from the press box and I'm I'm saying he's not going through the right progression reads. Like there's guys open, but he's he's neglecting that because he wants to go with his instinctual thing or whatever, or he has no confidence in the blocking is going to hold up, so he's running prematurely. All these kinds of things. He he, he had a lot of breakdowns with um, his accuracy because he wasn't. Um, his throwing mechanics were not, you know, being adhered to from what he had been doing a year or two earlier. And then ASU missed a bunch of throws down the field as a result of that big play opportunities and where he didn't see them. So there's a lot of areas where he needs to get significantly better. But I think more than anything, he has to look in the mirror and acknowledge the flaws and limitations as they actually are, and then work to, uh, to sort of build up, you know, and I don't know, I think the, I don't know if you guys are going to ask me this or not, but they just added Brian Billick, um, as a, as an advisor. And just the fact that he was an offensive coordinator before becoming a head coach in college and the NFL and has won a Super Bowl, I, I think that may help as a sounding board and as someone else who sort of echoes, um, what Hill is saying, but also can make sure that Hill is adjusting in the way that can benefit Daniels. I'm interested to see if that, that changes the dynamic at all. And uh, Paul Tyson too, coming in, uh, Bear Bryant's like great grandson, right? I don't know. If yeah. He, he could maybe push him. Daniels. Yeah. I think, I think ultimately they probably did that because they, they're, they're not happy with their quarterback depth and their, their overall situation projecting to 2023. And so it's better to have somebody who is learning your system and is ready to, uh, to hit the ground running when it's his time, but pushing Daniels is, is that would benefits everyone. I think. Yeah. All right. That's our off season report for Arizona state sun devils <laughs> with our buddy, our pal, Chris Cartman. We thought it'd be like five minutes, but we could have got, we could have talked a whole long time about Arizona. State. We could have gone an hour uh, because Ryan and I are experts on when it is necessary to fire a coach um, because <laughs> of the teams we cover. And so we're just kind of curious about ASU because this is past time when you would typically fire a coach. So it's interesting. I'm- I'm just like spooked out. Was that like the Grim Reaper coming for ASU's coaching staff with the the, the, the little sound there, sound effects? Oh, that's uh. Oh, hold on, I'll do it again. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> that's that's our, our Sun Devil. Yeah, that's our standard sound. But uh, I guess okay. it's maybe a little more apropos uh, yeah. for, the, <laughs> for the Grim Reaping. Uh, well, anyway, Chris, thanks so much for uh, coming on. Check out SunDevilSource.com for more. Thanks, man. No problem. You did pretty good, Ryan. thank Thank you you, chris all right well those were the arizona schools the desert schools let's go to the mountains love the mountains you're a big skier david 
I mean, I, I've skied. I wouldn't describe myself yeah. as a big skier. Me neither, but I'm sure our buddy uh, Dan Sorensen is a big skier. Uh, we got to talk about the Utah Utes. Um, they, they went to the Rose Bowl. I don't know if you know that the first time. Yeah. D- did you go? I didn't go to this one. <laughs> Are I, you sure? I, I did, I did okay. go to the Pac-12 championship game, so that was kind of cool. Uh, Utah was well represented, but you go to utezone.com. He's the publisher over there. Follow him on Twitter at D Sorensen. Uh, Dan, thanks for uh, coming on and talking to some uh, Utah football. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I, I've got just a very simple opinion question to begin the show. Cam Rising starts from game one, comfortable and ready for BYU and San Diego State. Is Utah a playoff team? Oh, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but I don't think that they lose to BYU or San Diego State, to be honest. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, it's I. he, you know... It, that that really was kind of the 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 inflection point of the season with was rising going in and and um and you know getting his uh getting getting his uh, uh his his feet wet and, and and really driving driving the team to success but you know that Oregon State loss you know that something like that if if it wasn't the Oregon State loss it would have been something else so I don't think Utah's a playoff team but certainly uh the the they re- they make the Pac-12 look better by not having those out-of-conference losses and 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 then going on that long run to to uh, to win the conference title. We uh, talked to Arizona, who was doing better in recruiting than kind of a typical Arizona year. Arizona State doing worse than a typical year. Uh, probably about average, I guess, for Utah. 37th nationally right now. Uh, third in the Pac-12. And if you include the transfers, 35th nationally uh, and down fifth in the Pac-12. But this is a team that doesn't lose a lot. Uh, is that kind of where you expect the recruiting rankings and transfer rankings to be for the Utes right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a t- it's a typical <laughs> recruiting season for Utah, you know. And Greg Biggins, he said it the other day when he was doing his recap from the Polynesian Bowl that Utah consistently makes 24-7 look bad because of how <laughs> they outperform how these guys are ranked. And so you look at Utah's recruiting class, you know, across the board and Lander Barton is, you know, he's a local kid. His parents both were athletes at the university of Utah. He's got two older brothers that played for the Utes and are both in the NFL now. And, you know, and then he went of course to the all American game and, 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 you know, was one of the top performers in the game. And so he's the headliner of the class. And then you got a, you know, you got a, a four-star quarterback in Nate Johnson out of, out of the, the Fresno area. And then you got a bunch of really highly rated three-star kids. And, and if we've seen anything out of Kyle Whittingham over the last decade is he can take a mid-level to highly rated three-star kid and really help them accomplish that potential and, and, you know, make the talent evaluators look bad. So, you know, Utah being there at, at, you know, third in, in the recruiting rankings in the, in the conference, 37th nationally is about where you'd expect them to be. Uh, I expect the performance on the field because Utah is so good at developing talent. The performance on the field should be higher than what those numbers say. And that's a good expectation. You know, the, the coaching staff, when, when they go out and they recruit, you know, they, they've got their formula. Uh, it's obviously led to success. They finally got that conference championship to to even prove that uh, even more so, but they're one of the, the the winningest programs in the conference, and they have been for a while. And and you know they, they did a good job in in identifying what their needs were, what they knew was going to leave at the end of the season, and then just backfilling. So you know they're at a point where it, you know it's it's going to be 
you're not going to see a lot of reloading seasons from the Utes. They're going to be consistently good. They're not going to necessarily be, you know, conference championship contenders every year, but they're going to be consistently good. And I think that this class is going to be just adding to that cumulative effect. And I have a favorite player in this recruiting class, Keo Akana uh, from uh, Honolulu, because our, our mutual friend, Brandon Huffman, uh, has known his dad, Brandon, I guess, for several years. We were at the Polynesian Bowl. One day we have uh, North Shore um, practice up there at, at BYU-Hawaii. And Brandon invites us over to his house, the backyard on the North Shore, and uh, does this crazy barbecue with us. So he's my favorite recruit of all time now. That, that meal was so good uh, from Brandon's dad. So it was pretty awesome. I don't blame you at all. I, I, I've, I've never been more jealous of you than I am right at this very moment. Right? You're telling me I, he's been talking about this Hawaiian lunch like four times since I saw him, but we'll be watching KO the whole time. So go, go KO. That was great. Yeah. Um, Love it. So, uh, Utah is justifiably, um, a trendy pick to win the PAC 12 next year. Um, and, uh, I think in some of these way too early rankings, they're as high as top six, um, for 2022 for good reason with all of everybody returning, but a huge through line that I've heard kind of just rumblings about throughout last season. And especially like right after the Rose bowl, right during the Rose bowl is that Kyle Whittingham was, uh, you know, there was talk that he might retire, uh, might move on. Is there anything to that right now? Um, because it would, it strikes me that he would want to stay and see how maybe his best team ever actually performs on the field next year. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, there was a lot of buzz. I don't know where that buzz came. Well, I kind of know where that buzz came from. You know, obviously it's been a tough two years for this Utah football program. The fact that they lost two players to, to shooting, uh, to shootings, you know, just it, it's so rare to see a death of a player. I think that, but I've covered, I think four of them in the last 20 years at Utah and two in the last year. And uh, th- that weighed heavily. So w- when you had the two deaths, uh, the loss to BYU uh, things, you know, just felt a little off early in the season for this team until, you know, Cam Rising comes in and shows leadership and, 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 and the team gets galvanized and, and, and they move forward to that conference championship. But, uh, but it, it, it looked like things were weighing pretty heavily on, on coach Whittingham earlier in the season uh, that obviously changed as things went on and, and, you know, winning cures everything. Right. And it's the, that's the, the case for every program. You know, I, I'd be surprised if we saw him hang him up, you know, he, he's been out recruiting. He's he's making commitments to to recruits. And, and I know that that's a common thing that's said about lots of coaches and coaches, you know, why and 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 or circumstances change. And so that doesn't necessarily mean he's sticking around, but he's certainly not acting right now like somebody that plans on hanging them up for a while. I think he's still got some gas in the tank. I, th- I think that he knows that, you know, he's got a loaded team next year uh, and, you know, and maybe the, the year after. And, and I think you're right. There, there is some justification in saying, you know, well, okay, you know, we won the, we finally got over the hump. We won the Pac-12 title, but you know, we'd love to win a Rose Bowl. We'd lo- love to get into the playoffs. We'd love to win a national championship. And you know, and a, I don't know if a national championship is a realistic goal for the Utes, but it's certainly one they're going to have and and they're going to shoot for. And and he's got the quarterback in place. He's got a star running back coming back. Uh, his he's going to have a good receiving core. His two star tight ends are coming back. Uh, the offense is going to be really, really good. And yes, they lose Devin Lloyd and, and they, they lose, uh, 
a little bit off of that defensive line and, and the linebacking core, but the entire secondary is coming back and, and they should be good. And the, the D line is going to be good once again. And, and the, the defense has a chance to be a Utah defense and reload. And so it, they've got a great chance to do some special things next year. And then of course they, they kick it off on the national stage with a game against Florida in game one in the swamp. And so if they can win that game, there's going to be a lot of national buzz about the Utes all season long. So, you know, I knowing how he is and how he wants to compete and what he's built and how he wants to see things through, you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario unless he's his health takes a major downturn. I can't imagine a scenario where he's not back next year and to seeing what he can accomplish. Season number 18 as the head coach. Um, you talked about the stability there. When I sent you an email before the show, uh, most of the schools have a bunch of guys that have transferred out. He's like, you know, uh, uh, Dan's line was no significant transfers. Like, so you got some guys at NFL, you know, Britton Covey's going, you mentioned Devin Lloyd and some of the other guys, uh, any you, Utah did go hard in the transfer portal last year. Any big additions in the transfer portal so far? We know they haven't lost a lot of guys, but any new uh, additions? Really? They've only, they've only got three transfers coming in uh, so far that have committed, uh, you know, they've got the, the big one is Mahmoud Diabate, who is a you know four-star transfer out of Florida, started a bunch of games down in Florida. He can play linebacker. He can be an edge rusher. He's a six foot three guy. He's a long guy. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that can come in and really help uh, mitigate some of the loss of, of a guy like Devin Lloyd or a guy like Mika Tafua, who, who of course led the Pac-12 in sacks last year. And both of them are going on to the NFL. Other than that, they got a couple of tight end transfers, uh, uh, Landon Morris out of Syracuse. Hughes and Logan Kendall out of out of Idaho and uh, you know a tight end transfer out of Idaho doesn't get a lot of people excited but I watch his film and he plays like a rhinoceros so you know as an old school football guy I kind of love him I I don't I don't know what he's going to do on the field but you know he's going to hit a few people and I think fans are going to love him for it but but yeah beyond that Utah hasn't been terribly active in the transfer portal I do expect people to transfer out I do think that a lot of the players are are waiting for spring football to see how things play out but you know there are guys that you know they're not going to like where they're at at, on the depth chart they're going to want to see if they can get an opportunity somewhere to to to, uh to to play and and so we'll see transfers out uh and then we'll see them backfill but i don't think that we're going to see a lot of activity until uh till after spring football you know they're going to go out they're going to look for another free safety they're going to look for another cornerback maybe maybe another linebacker although they're that linebacker room is loaded with with really young talent and and frankly it's it's weird to say for for utah but it's got a bunch of four-star kids that that they recruited out of high school that are is in that linebacker room so i i think that they're good there and they'll they'll roll with the youth that they've got but um but I, I think that they'll be really selective in the transfers they bring in, maybe a wide receiver. But uh, I, I personally don't expect a lot of movement uh, until after spring ball when when the roster kind of shakes out a little bit more. All right. That is our offseason report for Utah Utes. Dan, really appreciate you uh, coming on. Make sure you guys check out UteZone.com. Of course, Utah likely going to be the favorite in the Pac-12 again. Uh, but it was cool to to see that this team kind of shine at the end of the season. But Dan, thanks so much uh, again for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks guys. Thanks Dan. All right. Go from uh, Utah, Salt Lake city over to Boulder, Colorado. Uh, our friend, one of my favorites, David, uh, Adam Munster tiger does a great job over at buffstampede.com and covering Colorado for a long time. We go way, way back. Uh, but Adam, thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on and, and talking about the buffs. 
Of course. Yeah. I usually uh, have you guys in my ear when I'm doing yard work. And so uh, I'm always uh, grateful to get a call to, to come on with you guys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's always fun to talk to you. Um, not, I would say, always fun to talk about the Carl Durrell experience, but here we are and we're immersed in it. I, of course, have the perspective of uh, a UCLA person from uh, his first tenure. Um, I think there was a lot of hope coming out of 2020 with uh, how Colorado performed that year. Um, this past year was obviously a lot uglier. Um, what's What's the uh, what's the prospectus right now for the next year um, for Colorado based on kind of what you saw last year, the coaching changes that have been made, um, you know, the recruiting class put together? Yeah, we've seen the good, the bad and the ugly here since Carl Durrell took over in February of 2020. And I don't know, I I think this is going to be the first year I don't make a win prediction because you look at the schedule and it's hard to see a lot of wins on there. And You've got 22 guys that have entered the transfer portal since the beginning of the season. Most of those guys obviously entering the portal after this season. A lot of that was good attrition, but, uh, you know, there's been some guys that were key parts of this team that was already lacking depth. And so there's a lot of pressure on this coaching staff to try to fill those gaps through the portal. And they they have brought a few guys in, but they're going to have to do some work recruiting that portal once that next wave of guys comes in there following spring ball. So it's kind of hard to to say. I do like the staff hires generally that he made this offseason. I think offensive coordinator is a little bit of a question mark with Mike Sanford. He was a guy that was one of the hot young assistants in college football. But in two years at Minnesota, they really struggled in the passing game aspect of it. and, And he got let go. And so uh, there, there, there's a big question mark there. The, the good thing for Colorado is their offense can't get worse. I mean, the, in terms of the quarterback play and the offensive line play that we saw this past season, uh, there's only one way to go, and that's up. Uh, will, will they get better enough to where you know they're actually winning football games? It's hard to say at this point, but a lot of question marks with this program. Uh, you know, Brennan Rice is going to USC. Makai Blackman's going to USC. You, you, you lost Jarek Broussard. Uh, you know, the, the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. You lost Mark Perry, a guy that was pretty inconsistent at safety the last couple of years, but was starting to develop. You'd put a lot of time and effort into trying to develop this guy that, that you know, was starting to make some plays, but and now he's going to TCU. And so a lot of defections within this program. And so it, it's hard to say. I, I'm an optimistic person by nature, but certainly covering Colorado the last 15 years, that, that's, that's been tested a lot. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, Chris Wilson. You know, he was great when he was over at USC. We'll see how he does his second year as DC, but the Mike Sanford hire, it's kind of the question we want when we, you know, people are looking at this Colorado offense at times. You're like, can the offense get the triple digits of yards? You know, like a, crossing the hundred yard mar- marker was like questionable at some point. And I feel like you really needed to just crush this hire and to get the guy that was fired at Minnesota, maybe it works out. And uh, like you said, it, it's hard to get worse. But, I mean, was there any thought or, you know, just going out and getting some young guy that's putting up 500 yards a game somewhere and, and seeing what you could do with him? Yeah, well, I think Carl Durrell, this is the the type of offense coordinator that he wants. He wants to have kind of a ball control offense that is predicated mainly on the running game. And, you know, he's a former receiver. They're going to throw the ball some. But I think this was the type of hire that he wanted that he can kind of mesh with Mike Sanford more. Whereas with Darren Cheverini, it was kind of, you know, oil and vinegar type of thing. Like Cheverini came from the air raid, and that's not Carl Durrell's background at all. 
uh, th- there was a day there where there was some reports that Brennan Marion, who was uh, at Pittsburgh and now is at Texas as their passing game coordinator, was a candidate for the for the offensive coordinator job. And that would have been exciting. That would have been like a boomer bust type of thing. It, you know, could have failed miserably, but at least it would have been something innovative and, and something exciting. Uh, I think with Mike Sanford coming in there, that that is the big question. I I like so many of the hires that they made this off season, but I just don't know where where the ceiling is with his offense with him as the offense coordinator. You look at his past and some of these offenses that he's he's taken over have gotten worse with him in charge. So certainly, uh, you know, question questionable decision. But uh, you know, this will probably be the hire that defines the Carl Durrell era. I think whether or not Mike Sanford is successful in that offensive coordinator role. Yeah, and that was that, that's the worry for me because <clears throat> my hope um, when Carl Durrell was hired, because I truly did hope he succeeded, um, was that he would have um, changed th- this particular leopard would have changed his spots a little bit. Um, but this this hire, um, it strikes me as leaning into his comfort zone offensively, which I have always been possessed of the belief that Carl Durrell's comfort zone on offense is the reason he continuously fails um, as a head coach, but also as an offensive coordinator. It's just not a good offense. He doesn't have a good feel for it. And he's, um, I think, just not, not very good at it. Um, and I think he he has this belief um, in it based off of, I don't know, his time with Shanahan or whatever. Um, but it's outdated. Um, and I'm interested to see if Mike Sanford maybe has changed a little bit because he's, he's a relatively young guy. Um, mm-hmm. he was the hot name coming out of Notre Dame, took the Western Kentucky job, did not kill it. And Western Kentucky is a job that you can kill if you're really good. Um, so it's interesting to see that, um, with the, with the kind of departures, um, there was a big name that came in, um, that I was hoping you could shed some light on Tommy Brown, uh, the offensive lineman from Alabama just recently committed to Colorado. Um, how big of a pickup is that? And how much does that, um, I don't know, bolster that offensive line for next year? Yeah, it helps a lot. I think you put him in as a starter in Penn at this point, just because, had you watched any Colorado games this past season, you know how bad the offensive line was. And this is a guy that, that started a game for Alabama last year. It was kind of a, a utility guy, can play tackle and guard, and was a guy that Alabama didn't really want to lose. And, yeah, he wasn't starting every game, but the guys that were starting in front of him are, are off to the NFL. So uh, he, he's they hope he is you know, what Max Ray didn't end up being, a guy that transferred in from Ohio State last year and got – a bad head injury early in the season and then had to medically retire. So I, I, I do think Tommy Brown is going to be a big part of this offense. And uh, yeah, the, the, the more guys you can put in that locker room too, that, that have that winning culture, they brought in Robert Barnes from Oklahoma last off season and Jack Lamb for Notre Dame. And those guys became leaders pretty early on. And, and I, I think for Colorado, as many of those guys as you can get in that locker room, that, that that's a big deal. RJ Sneed uh, transfer from Baylor at receiver is a big get for them as well. He led Baylor in receiving in 2020, was second on the team in receiving this past year. So that helps mitigate a little bit the loss of Brendan Rice and Dimitri Stanley to the portal. But like I said earlier, they they got to they got to keep working that portal because they've still got some spots at running back and safety that they've got to fill. That uh, you know the the team you're going to see out there in spring ball is not necessarily going to be the the starting group you're going to see out there because they're they're going to need some some more guys from the portal. Speaking of the portal, pick up a guy from Houston, a quarterback. What's the quarterback room looking like right now? Yeah, JT Shrout was going to be their starter in 2021 until he tore his ACL in the preseason. 
and he's made good recovery. Uh, he's going to be participating some during spring ball. I think if you're putting odds on who's going to be the starting quarterback this year, he would be at the top of the list. Brendan Lewis did get better as last season went along, but not as good as they needed him to. And, you know, as quickly his development was not as quick as they needed it to be. And, and a lot of that had to do with the offensive line that was in front of him. I think it would have been hard for even Shroud to have success in the offense last year because uh, they, they were really struggling as an offensive line group. So I wouldn't count out Brennan Lewis. You know, there, there were stretches in games, you know, at Oregon. Uh, there, there was a handful of stretches throughout the year where you go, OK, I see why he was as highly regarded as he was coming out of high school but just didn't have the consistency. He's started a lot of football games now. So uh, I think he's going to be in the mix. Maddox Cop, as you mentioned, transferred in from Houston. It's hard to say, you know, he hasn't completed his first practice at Colorado, but he's definitely got uh, that that prototype body, 6'4", 215. He was an Elite 11 finalist. So he'll be part of that mix as well. Drew Carter was in the program last year, but you know, as bad as Brennan Lewis was playing at times, they didn't really play him much. So that kind of tells you that he's further along in his development than, uh, you know, probably being part of the conversation as being a starter. So I would probably put him maybe third or fourth on, on that hierarchy, but I would expect JT Stroud to be the guy he transferred in from Tennessee last year and was looking pretty darn good in the few open practices we had before he ended up getting hurt. Um, one last thing, uh, the, uh, you, you mentioned 22 departures, uh, that's given a lot you know, guys leaving the transfer portal. Uh, you're bringing in some guys in, but anyone, you know, the school's pretty much, you know, starting now, uh, maybe the next wave is going to be after spring. Is there, is the thought there's going to be a lot of guys, uh, added, uh, in that spring, you know, heading into summer for, uh, the buffs. Yeah. I, the number I had heard initially from sources was that they expected to bring in seven transfers and they brought in four. I, I think that number will actually go up just because, I think there's been more defections to the portal than, than maybe people anticipated that was going to happen. So I would say they probably bring in about five transfers after that next group hits the portal after spring ball. Uh, but yeah, the, the deadline for enrolling for the spring semester has passed. So uh, they got who they have right now, and they're not really going to be able to add much until the, later in the spring. All right. That is our off-season report for Colorado Buffalo. Always a pleasure talking to our buddy, Adam Munster-Tiger. Go check out buffstampede.com. Uh, Adam, thanks again for coming on. Of course, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Adam. Wow, David. I mean, did we execute? Like, we pulled something off. I mean, I think I think it's a testament to the planning from me uh, <laughs> last night and how we pulled that off. But uh, we just got four quality interviews. Yeah. I would say some of them were even kind of like dropping a little bit of news tidbits. Like there was information. Yeah. There was analysis. We didn't sound too stupid. Um I think it was great. I mean Five probably stars. sounded stupid, but that's okay. We didn't sound too stupid. Okay. Right? <laughs> like I mean there's a there's a baseline level of stupid that everyone's expecting here, but we didn't sound too stupid. Yeah, we a couple of them were telling us like they listen to the show, you know, yeah. so that yeah, yeah. they're happy to be on it. Chris so. Cartman very obviously does not listen to the show. I don't think he does because he didn't know the sound effect. Oh yeah, yeah, he didn't. Yes, he didn't know the sound effect. Yeah, yeah. But our our, our man's our, our man's Dan and and Adam they they they're, they're they're listeners. They like us in the mountains. They like us in the mountains. Uh, I don't know, Jason. I didn't get a feel. I'm not sure if Jason likes us or yeah. not. Uh, not that he doesn't like us, but just listens to the. I show. mean, I think he loves us like at a fundamental level, at like, like a deep spiritual level. But 
Um, but yeah, that was good stuff. So, uh, you know, I know everyone out there, you're not used to actual information on this podcast. So we'll get back to Disney princesses some other time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, this, this was probably really harsh for you. <laughs> like it was like, um, you were thrust into an atmosphere that you can't quite breathe, mm. but, uh, we'll be back to nothing but shit soon. <laughs> <laughs> you right. will get your your dose of methane very soon. Is there any other like sort of Pac-12 level stuff? Uh, that anything that happened that's weird? Because we already talked about like Chip Kelly's extension. We uh-huh. still we're still on Caleb Williams watch. Caleb Williams watch. We don't know are what we, he's doing. Are we on watch? I have to be. Yeah. But Every it, time they tweet out these emojis and stuff, I yeah, get but it's happening. Fifty texts oh, and whatever. everything. Whatever. Uh, USC. Oh, uh, USC's recruiting is no longer whelming. It's now. I would say overwhelming. I think we have a question about that. Do we really? Yeah. Um, They're number one in the transfer yeah, the transfer market. Yeah. It's um, gross. <laughs> it sucks real bad. It's sort of like uh, the emperor comes in and, and they tell all the workers to redouble their efforts to build the Death yeah. Star. It gets built faster than you even thought. Is that yeah. sort of what's but going on? But then it does get blown up. <laughs> That's true. Remember? Yeah. Remember that part? <laughs> they, by, a bunch, like by, by a bunch of fucking tiny teddy bears. Remember that? Isn't it like... You come up with this one theme, right, in Star Wars. Like, okay, the first movie. We're going to make nine of them. The first one, holy cow, we have something that can blow up a planet. Like, what does you do after that? Well, we do another thing that can blow up a planet. Then they have – then it's just – now you can have it in, like, a ship. Like, a ship can blow up a planet. So mm-hmm. now we have, like, thousands of ships, and each one of them can blow up a planet. Soon you'll have, like, a holstered gun that you could just blow up planets with. Like, that, that'll be – the next Star Wars is, like – Yes. If if JJ Abrams does have anything to say about it, that is what it will be. Yeah. And it will be the so every successive Star Wars movie done by JJ Abrams will be the worst movie of all time. Wow. He cannot do any more. Okay. Are they going to are they going to make more or what's They're the... going to make more. I mean, it's too much money, but it, yeah. that last one was uh I totally oh didn't remember. I didn't remember the storyline from the last one. There wasn't one. one. It was it was whew. But I told David I watched this on the plane. Because he made a reference to it being like the worst movie. Was that on air? No, that was that wasn't on air. No, right? that was no, off okay. air. Um, so I don't remember if we were talking about it on air or not. But then I was like, I had to watch it on the plane. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, okay. So you have like a, a fleet of ships, and all of them can blow up planets. Like, yeah. So yeah, there's just like, you just get this thing in your head. Like, yeah, you remove planet all, blowing up thing. Well, it's like yeah. you remove all of the like impact of that by just making it everything. It's just stupid. Yeah. It's just dumb. It's bad. Bad story. And it's weird where like. You know, planet's pretty big, right? Like, I mean, Earth is pretty big. Like, yeah, if you yeah. just like well dropped said. off on Earth somewhere, like you could be in Antarctica, you could be somewhere in, like the middle of Europe, you could mm-hmm. be like Brazil. Like, I don't know, but just people land on planets. There's like one city section or something yeah, that yeah. One just goes to like, like the whole rest of the planet. There's nothing. Like, uh, I went to this planet. I just stop by. Like, oh yeah. Well, that was the thing with with all those movies is that they made the new the new ones. They made the universe feel small. And like that's the entire opposite of the point of those stupid movies. Yeah. Like it's not supposed <laughs> to expansive. feel small. It's supposed to feel lived in. Like yeah. it's supposed to feel kind of grungy and like there are different areas and it's all kind of but it felt like there were like 150 people in this entire universe <laughs> and they were constantly <laughs> bumping into each other doing <laughs> stupid crap. It's like you live in New York City and you might not bump into your neighbor for like years right. and like uh, there's like this millions light years all over the world like we just bump into each other at a right. random tatooine uh, well and you have bar. no no sense of like the distance between things like what's the distance between that that planet they blow up with the uh, what's the stupid alderaan name? what's this no no in in the first in force awakens what's the uh, name of the stupid uh super villain weapon oh i forget like 
it's like Star Killer or some crap. Okay, sure. Anyway, where is that in relation to the planet it's blowing up? Because like in in Star Wars, the original movie, you've got the whole scene of the Death Star arriving in the galaxy and right. it's slowly emerging to blow up. Uh, it has to like clear is. the moon to blow yeah, up. Yeah, but the... you've got all this like sense of like okay, time and space and like distance and all this other stuff, and like there's a sense of like okay, this needs to happen now because we got to get this done. It none of those movies had it. Like Force Awakens is a piece of trash, and then Rise <laughs> of Skywalker is absolutely abysmal. <laughs> just a terrible movie. I love we just went on this random tangent, like right, you know. Well, we're not going to talk about USC football anymore. I'm not sure. doing that. Oh yeah, that's how we got there. Okay, why don't we take a quick break? We do have some questions to get to. So thanks to uh, all of our guests. Back in a minute, and we're answering your questions. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All righty. We're back here on the podcast of Champions. Um, We have a voicemail. I think it's specifically for you, David. We can start with that. Sure. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Perk. Um, Yeah, I know Day has kind of the monopoly on uh, asking questions about assistant coach hires, particularly on the uh, offensive line and tight end positions. But uh, I just wanted to ask Dave what his thoughts were on the, the UCLA line coach that recently moved out to Ohio State. I think Justin Fry's his name. Um, just, you know, out here at Ohio State, everyone's been kind of complaining about the offensive line the past few years. So I was wondering if, if you knew anything on kind of what to expect from him, if he's more of a recruiter, less of a developer, or on the other side, more of a developer, less of a recruiter. Um, or I guess kind of just a hybrid, but I uh, just wanted to know, you know if you knew anything on him. Thanks, guys. Yeah, good question. Uh, Burke, um, uh, Justin Fry was probably the best assistant coach on staff. Um, he was a great developer of talent. Um, the offensive line uh, just seemed to constantly um, produce guys who could really play. Um, he converted a defensive lineman, Antonio Maffi, into a really playable guard this year, and he'll probably start next year. Um, but just real uh, Alec Anderson, UCLA's right tackle, just declared for the draft. He wasn't really playable his first year. Justin Fry did a lot of work on him, um, turned him into a, a top flight uh, tackle in the Pac-12. Uh, he's a really, really good developer of talent on the offensive line. As a recruiter, eh, He's fine. He's not great. I think with a different head coach in charge who maybe prioritizes recruiting, he could be galvanized a little bit more to do it. I, I think in a lot of ways, assistant coaches follow the lead of their head coach, and Chip Kelly's not a recruiter. Uh, I don't know Ryan Day that well, but given Ohio State's recruiting rankings, he's probably a recruiter. 
mm-hmm. and I think Justin Fry will do fine. Um, but he's a really good developer of talent, um, and I think he he'd drawn pretty good reviews for just as like a offensive game plan type guy he wasn't the play caller that was chip kelly but he did a lot of work on the game plans and um scouting and all that kind of stuff so i think he'll be an asset to that ohio state staff i don't know who your offensive line coach it was but i think he'll probably be an upgrade if people are unhappy with him fry was i think uh the guy on staff that everyone was pretty damn high on from a fan perspective from an internal perspective does ucla still have some open jobs yeah, yeah, they do. Um, so get a little late. The yeah, the the big one is defensive coordinator. Who are they going to replace? Oh, is here? that an important job? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it you know maybe the difference between what they're uh, what um, is a good team and what's a bad team? Maybe. I mean, for uh, a team that recruits, like it would be important to get one before signing day. But for UCLA, it doesn't matter, right? Signing day is just true. What every day? It's, true. It's, it's, it's uh, the same. So they're taking their time on it. But yeah, that's that's kind of the big missing piece at this point. Gotcha. Uh, we had an email from Crispy Bruin. Hey, guys. Hate the podcast. Well, that's nice, <laughs> Crispy. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that wasn't the whole question, but that was just the, that was the funny part. With the number of quarterbacks transferring into the conference, are there any Pac-12 schools who aren't upgrading their quarterback play next year? Obviously, other than Jane Daniels, <laughs> year over year at ASU. Okay, so let's Crispy go through Bruin. it. Let's go through it. ASU, no. So ASU brought in uh, a transfer, but they'll have – they yeah, still but have it's still Jaden Daniels, Daniels starting. Yeah. Uh, um, Jaden Delora, obviously, yes. Yeah, Arizona for sure. UCLA, yes, just because Dorian Thompson Robinson I mean, will be a year older and he's, he's developed back. every year. Um, USC's, we don't know, like because you still don't know about Caleb yes, Williams. Yes, we do. I mean, I, don't be coy, I, dude. I, if I knew it was, he was coming, I would say like people are reporting, oh, he's coming, he's coming. Like I don't know, I haven't heard that he's coming. Like he probably okay. Will. USC's upgrading its recruiting class with the upgrading its quarterback class because Caleb Williams is going. Uh, Utah, they're just Cam Rising. It's Cam Rising, so I don't know about upgrade. Upgrade, yeah. whatever. Uh, Colorado, sure, because it won't just be Brendan Lewis. Yeah, mucking I think. It up I think. There. Yeah, uh, Shroud will be what's off injury. Cal, what's Cal doing? I don't know. Didn't uh, Chase Garber's? He's he's, he's gone. Left. Yeah, he's, he's gone. gone. He gone. Um, um, maybe we should. Maybe Ethan Garber's will go there. Isn't that what we were talking wow. about before? Wow. Isn't that what? I thought that was the talk. No, he's at UCLA. He already used the transfer portal. Yeah, well, you could use it again. I don't think you can. I mean, you could like apply for a waiver or something. Oh, whatever. What? Yeah. So he can go be the quarterback at the school his brother left? Yeah. All right. What's Cal doing? Cal, uh, they have uh, Jack Plummer in the transfer portal. Okay. I don't know who that is. He's from Purdue. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we ne- we definitely need to do the Bay Area schools next because we have no friggin' idea. Tanner McKee. I mean, Tanner McKee is. He's good, he could, but yeah, he, yeah. I don't know if it's a significant upgrade. It's just him again. Right. I wouldn't say that's an upgrade kind of thing. What's Oregon doing? Uh, Oregon has... Um, they had uh, they had Thompson. No, they brought in um, uh, Bo Nix. Okay. Is that an upgrade? I've watched Bo Nix play football. Is that an upgrade? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, and you got the, the kid that was freshman last year, Thompson, right? Um, yeah. So, I don't know, but they've... They've, they've tried. They've, they've tried, tried to. I don't I know mean, if that's a Anthony sh- Brown is... is not good. And I, I really thought he was going to be good, and he wasn't. That was one of my things. I'm like, I think Anthony Brown's going to like surprise people and be good. And like, well, I was wrong. Yeah. I'm better at predicting death than life. I did good with the Stanford is butt, and Colorado will be terrible, and Arizona will win one game. I was good at all those, but... So, Oregon State? 
Did they do anything, or is it just still the Chance Nolan show? I think Chance Nolan, but then I thought they had a transfer also. Like, there was someone that was going to, like... Um... We were so well prepared for this question. Like, we're, we're really... Not, like, we're nailing it. Well, we nailed the four people we just talked to, because we just talked to them. Yeah, it's it's tough when they ask us, like, a bunch of stuff, you know? Like, are we supposed to be experts on this this, this conference that we cover exclusively on this podcast? <laughs> no. Come on. Uh, did they get somebody? They got Travis Throckmorton, who definitely, uh, wins the all name team, but that's a freshman. Yeah. Um, I don't see anybody in the transfer portal they got. Washington state, uh, they brought in, uh, so they lose Delora, but they brought in Cameron. I'm calling that flat. I get the whole like hype about an FCS quarterback. Cameron Ward. Yeah. But come on. You're, Um, You're ditching maybe the best quarterback in the league last year. Okay. Uh, Washington, it's not still Dylan Morris, is it? <laughs> they brought in somebody too, I think, didn't they? Um, <laughs> it's hard to remember. They're like, okay, so roster turnover sucks so bad now because it's really hard to. There's a lot of roster turnover, and like you, dude, we got to cover Washington because what is going on here? They have two enrollees, three signed letters of intent, and five transfers. Mm. What the hell's going on up there, Kalen? Uh, I don't. Yeah, because well, Kalen DeBoer, you thought they were going to get um, Jake Hayner. Yeah, and then they didn't. Yeah, Jeff so that Tedford was sort of back. like, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, some schools upgraded, some didn't. There you go. Yeah. Crispy Bruin. Glad, nice, Chris. Glad you hate the podcast. Here's a couple of good first for the. I think the ratio of like jokes to words in his email was pretty high. <laughs> it was really high. <laughs> All right, this is from um, uh, oh Casey Casey in Rancho Cucamonga. There's Ryan, a lot of Ryan more really words dealt me a, a fun one here. <laughs> Uh, this is a POC reaction to January 13th show. Uh, just treat college collegiate athletes like all other students. Hi, Ryan and Dave. First time, long time here. Love what you guys do for Pac-12 fans and keep up the good work. And by good work, I mean little work you put into this. Thursday, you touched on something that's a pet peeve of mine, our double standard for collegiate athletes and what going to school means with respect to them. Nowhere in the college landscape is it a requirement that an undergraduate student double major. That is, except for collegiate athletes, and that's exactly the case I'm going to start calling them college athletes because collegiate is bothering me every time I say it. Okay. Because it's then making me pronounce athletes wrong. Is it? I'm going going collegiate athletes. Okay. Um, So I'm going to go college athletes. And that's exactly the case when you look look at the sports regimen they follow and then add their additional studies on top of that. As someone who spent time in a performing arts major during undergrad, I see little difference between the daily demand of a D1 athlete and that of someone majoring in music, dance, theater, etc., Students in these examples spend dawn to dusk in group or individual practice being coached by experts in their field. The only difference is we don't make music majors also achieve another separate degree in business, media relations, etc. In my opinion, many parties are to blame for this denigration of sports on campus. Of course, the NCAA is at the top of the list as always and has done this to preserve the myth of amateurism, but there are also forces on campus that would hate to see athletes gain any more power or budget from the university. For those departments, though, how many are capable of producing the number of graduates immediately earning seven-figure salaries as D1 revenue-producing athletes? Uh, that's not athletics. That should just be athletes. <laughs> yeah. Why is it, Again, it screwed me up. <laughs> it was wrong on the email, to be fair. College athletes. <laughs> producing many, athletics. <laughs> many will argue that not all col- college athletes go pro in sports after college. Not a lot of people go pro in what they majored in in general. But at least those kids have a diploma. Cool. Give collegiate athletes a give college athletes a <laughs> diploma without making them do twice the work. This is so fun. But accrediting organizations have to be certified. That's how you know the diplomas are meaningful. One, LOL. 
Two, imagine an NCAA that actually did work like this to support college athletes instead of constantly figuring out how to reintroduce indentured servitude. As I step down off my soapbox, let me close with the infamous words of Cardell Jones. We ain't come to play school. Words that were mocked at the time but bring truer than ever today. Not because sports and college athletes don't have a place on campus, but because they are more important to universities now than ever. Thanks, guys, and looking forward to a great offseason listening to you review Apple TV shows and beg for five-star reviews. Uh, Casey, Casey, really good, really well-reasoned. I think it's dead on. I think athletics should be essentially the same as, I mean, why wouldn't it be, as performing arts majors? The real fundamental thing, and I think you've hit the nail on the head, is people don't respect it, first, as a profession. And two, um, I think it's the fact that they get so much money. Like, I think so many of them get so much money yeah. for being professional athletes. But why can't there be a – I mean, I had a number of friends who were, like, world arts and culture majors. Now, some of them are using it to be poor and not do anything, <laughs> and some of them are not. But, like, that's the degree they graduated with. How is it fundamentally different than getting, like, a physical education degree or whatever? Yeah. Um, I, I – I, I like that. I would like to see it explored at a more extensive level because I do think there is this like uh, inherent and essential bias against athletics as um, essentially a chosen a chosen professional field. But these aren't supposed to be trade schools anyway. So if you're allowing it for performing arts or visual arts or any of those sorts of things that are essentially trades, but we're treating it as if it's um, not, why can't you do it for athletics too? No, I think that's great. And then you could, I mean, you're studying and like say you're not going to make it to the NFL or whatever. You could be a coach. You could be, you know, they teach you fundamentals of coaching or, you know, just physical education, like things that are based on athletics. And maybe you're not doing a whole lot of math. You're doing more of, you know, this kind of stuff. Right. And if you wanted to have more of a science-based thing, they're like kinesiology, whatever, like you could be uh, you know, a, a, a trainer or any other thing, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I think it should be a part of it. And that might save college athletics eventually, just being able to do something like this. Well, and it, it is a double. Major. You could make that a very robust major too, because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of psychology that goes into athletics. There's a lot of obviously biology that goes into athletics. There's a lot of nutrition that goes into athletics. There's a lot of stuff that like I think even for like a hardcore academic institution, there is value in teaching those courses, even as a general education thing, like even as uh, something that people pick up who are majoring in something else. Like, it's not as if this would be just purely siloed for athletes. Like, you could do, I think, something that's actually worthwhile um, for people who are participating in sports. But, like, I think for the people who are participating in sports, that part of it should be part of their academics. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't just be, oh, you have to do this job on top of – it's not like work study. I mean, they, they have to spend a shitload of time devoted to basketball or football or any of the other sports – so why not make that part of their academics? And yeah, there's a couple of classes they also have to take to, you know, integrate into the school environment or whatever, but it's related to what they're doing. Yeah. I would, you know, and I'm curious too, if there's, there's, you know, there's athletes that are there that really don't want to be a part of school. They'll go to the tutoring. They'll do what they have to do. And, you know, maybe they're not into it, but like, I don't want to take that calculus class or whatever it is, or that physics class. Oh, but this is like a kinesiology class or bio, like something that was having to do with, you know, sports nutrition or sports psychology. Maybe they weren't interested in school, but they would be interested in that. And they're like, oh, I'm actually going to go to this class. And uh, you, you might get people motivated to more do more on the academic well, side. Rather than dumping a bunch of guys who or whoever into history or whatever, when like 
they don't want to learn about. Why'd you mention history? But like I was a history, major. <laughs> but like I was in, I was a history major, and I was in like some of these like big time theater classes with like twenty football players. And it's like, why do they have to dump into history? Like, it's not as if they're like, oh yeah, I'm really into history. It's because it's the easiest goddamn major at UCLA. And <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm not even like, I'm not even, yeah, exactly. But like, I'm not even like knocking that as like a reason to do it because you've got a friggin' full time job. Yeah. What major are you gonna take? Um, you're not gonna be like, I mean, there's the ones who like, uh, uh, who try to be like, uh, like Ultron Werner was like an applied mathematics major, and I'm like, good on you, buddy, but like, how are you finding the time? Yeah. There, I can't find the time. I can't find the time between all the drinking. So how do you find the time? <laughs> it is tough because there. I mean, obviously, there's a wide range of students that play sports, but there's guys that are like, I really wanted to do this engineering discipline, but like, I I can't. Like, there's not enough time, you know? Right. And so yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I think it's um, but I think it's a good idea to allow that as an option for guys who want it. Yeah. All right. Um, this email from Carson is called Doug is stupid. Wow. Uh, we have to remember what Doug said. Uh, to Doug's point, I love how people just assume they know exactly what you're talking about. It, this could have been from a year ago. This could, it's probably from the last show. I'm guessing it's from the last show, but it could have but been. But who from can six remember what we said in the last show? That well, that was like two weeks ago, anyway. But um, so Doug at some point made a point. But to Doug's point about if one Pac-12 team in the 12 slash 16 playoff setup would stand a better chance against four SEC teams in the playoffs than one Pac-12 team in the Final Four would against one or two SEC teams. At first, there would be a lot more than four SEC teams in a 12 or 16-team playoff. Okay. Anyway. He said, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State are the three teams in the country that Utah would not beat. Other than that, I think Utah could probably beat anyone else. Yes, that includes Cincinnati, Michigan, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Just like BYU, Wazoo. Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and a few others. I'm not re remembering right now. Michigan, the inferior team in their rivalry, benefited from playing Ohio State in the year of the rivalry upset. So basically, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're calling Doug stupid. He did mention BYU, and, who and lost you're, to Utah. You're, 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 arguing, Utah. you're arguing with points like Michigan benefited from playing Ohio State in the year of the rivalry upsets. Is that objective reality? That I, like that has any influence on the outcome of a football game? It's the year of the rivalry upsets. When I think of twenty twenty one, I don't think I I don't think like pandemic. I think rivalry upsets. That's all I thought about. <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> continue. So basically, I would project the final four to include Alabama, Georgia, one of Ohio State slash Michigan slash Baylor slash Oklahoma State, and then Utah, because I don't think. Cincy lasts long enough against higher level competition in the expanded playoff format. Same thing with Michigan, Baylor, Oklahoma State, etc. Also, if USC, Oregon, and Washington can get their shit together with their new coaches, I think those three, plus Utah, would have a pretty good chance of getting at least two, maybe three teams into the top 12 or 16 over the next few years. So we should absolutely push for an expanded playoff format. You're, you are... I think it means you are brain dead. It's always fun when it's the when it's the it's the closing like insult, and then they use the wrong "your" to say that you're brain dead. You are brain dead if you don't think if you don't want an expanded playoff with your interest being in the Pac-12. That's from Carson. Here's the thing, Carson, my buddy, my pal, is that if USC, Oregon, and Washington can get their shit together with their new coaches, guess what? You don't need an expanded playoff. No deserving Pac-12 team has been left out of the four-team playoff. The issue is, constantly, correctly, no Pac-12 team has been deserving for the last five friggin' years. 
Utah doesn't lose to San Diego State and BYU, guess what? They probably make the playoff this I year. I would think they're in. I would yeah. think they would have made it. They probably make the playoff this year. The way they were You know what it. the problem with Utah this year is, Carson? Your 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 coach started the wrong quarterback for the first three games of the year. That's your problem. And if that gets fixed, then maybe you go to the playoff this year. Um these things are internal issues with the Pac twelve. It doesn't get solved by expanding it to twelve because expanding it to twelve the last, I don't know, few years probably gets one team in, one Pac twelve team into a 12-team playoff, when more than likely that's going to be five SEC teams, uh, three or four Big Ten teams, you're not increasing your chances, really. But you're getting a chance. You're getting a chance, but you're also increasing the share for the other leagues. Right. You have a lottery ticket, at least. You've got a lottery (laughs) ticket, but guess what? Every team has a lottery (laughs) ticket at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, I really despise the playoff expansion talk at this point. I mean, obviously, the Pac-12 needs to expand. I love the people like Dave just fighting against it and stuff. Like, it's just like, it's going to happen. It actually might not, when you listen to the national podcast, like, it might take four or five years. So you might get your way. It'll eventually expand. But yeah, the ACC is totally like, they don't want to expand and stuff. So it's kind of weird. Well, they want, they want Notre Dame to, the ACC has like a terrible TV contract. And like, the only way to get out of it is you add Notre Dame. And if you add to make it 12, you don't need to add Notre Dame. So that's kind of where they are, I think word um true or false this is a text message uh land danning and oregon will be to college football next year what tommy lloyd and arizona have been to college basketball this year no false uh i do okay i appreciate the land danning though it was good it was good um what about I've, what about i've got one for you what about lami toyed <laughs> i like that lami toyed lami toyed's pretty good did you see what's going on with like hawaii like uh yeah, I was out there for the so June Jones. I mean, cool dude. It was cool to see like Doug Williams, like a freaking legend, coaching one of the teams there. But June Jones is out there and like really just openly talking about, yeah, I'd, I'd take the Hawaii job. That'd be cool, you know. It's like, yeah, you should hire him. Like Hawaii's like you don't even have a stadium. Like it's just it's so weird, you know. They had to condemn the stadium that you were playing in, and uh, apparently they told them like, yeah, you could be the coach, but you only get like two years, and we get to pick your staff. And it's just like, what? What are you doing? So they got uh Timmy Chang, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he gets to be the uh, Hawaii coach. Because um, the Pac-12 usually plays those teams. All right, this is our buddy John and Brea. Finally, dear Ryan and Dave, I spent the last 15 years scheduling, I'm sorry, searching the Pac-12 landscape, looking for a team I can support and call my own. A team I can funnel NIL money to so that I can be tied to a program whose success will ultimately give my life some sort of meeting. But it's been a tough road. So he has a few uh, choices here. He said, my Arizona State Sun Devils haven't been the same since Sparky's costume went plush. Oh, and the entire athletic administration went insane. My USC Trojans are once again trying to break in an offensive-minded coach, thinking this one finally will return the program to the glory days. We'll see. My UCLA Bruins started last year so strong, and I was eight clapping my way through every shopping mall in the Valley until week three. But finally... Like a true oasis in the desert, my Arizona Wildcats are poised to take over the Pac-12. I lived in Tucson for six years, about a mile from the university. Tucson is a college town disguised as a mid-sized city. Everything in Tucson revolves around the U of A. Combine this rabid fan base with the state of Arizona's politics, and you have the most SEC-like school in the Pac-12. It's time. What do you think? Arizona going to be that team? David, his question was, of all the University of Arizona games you've seen, which one is the most memorable? Bear down, John and Brea. I love John. 
Oh, he's awesome. He's moving on again. It's great. To another he picked school. another school. Yeah, it's very good. Um, man, so like snark aside, Arizona's doing some things. Oh yeah, like if they can stack a few top thirty-ish classes in a row, and if they can see meaningful results this year, like are we returning to early nineties era Arizona? Maybe that'd be cool. Yeah. Why not? No. Yes. Sure. Sure. I mean, they they won a game. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, his question about most memorable game, like, it probably has to be the win over Cal, right? Like, how memorable was that? Like, 10-7? Oh, it was a big game. I mean, that was, that was memorable. Uh, I mean, there were some awesome 90s games and stuff, but, yeah. Oh, well, we love you, John. Thanks. <clears throat> um, John sent us a really vulgar image. Oh my gosh. Um says we got our man and it's Chip Kelly's face superimposed on the back of some woman's head who is sitting on a football. Um she has a large uh posterior or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, and it says it's ESPN radio breaking. Not just ESPN breaking news, it's ESPN radio breaking news. It's an interesting it's an interesting image. It's like a it's an image but it says radio. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I'm yeah. I'm going to go ahead and read the next one. Okay. Pac-12 quarterbacks. This is from Phil and Pullman. Hello, Ryan and David. This year was clearly a down year for the Pac-12, but I think we can all agree that the quarterback play this year was also terrible when the league typically produces good quarterbacks. With this in mind, I made a list of quarterbacks that I want you to rank from worst to best. I know some of these guys did not play all year, but they all had a considerable amount of snaps in at least one game. Here is the list. One, Gunnar Cruz. Two, Brendan Lewis. Three, Dylan Morris. Four, Jack West. Five, Jarrett Guarantano. Six, Charlie Brewer. Seven, Will Plummer. Also, I wanted to mention that I think Stanford will be much better than they were this year. They may have been, but, quote, this year. But I bet Shaw will right the ship, and I think McKee is an underrated QB that you guys don't talk about enough. With a top 25 recruiting class as well, I think there's a lot to look forward to in this team. Call it a hot take, but if they don't go at least six and six, I'll create a bunch of fake accounts and post five-star reviews for as long as you'd like. Anyways, thank you for what you guys do, and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Best. Hey, Phil. Um... I you know I've I got to look and see you know they did have a great recruiting class but there's more guys still leaving um, the portal so I think you can plug some holes but man it just still, still seems like once you get those guys on board they're like jumping ship Phil they're gonna be big ass again this year <laughs> big big ass like with that picture of the last email we got correct um, uh, my guess would be they're not gonna get to six and six but you know we'll see Phil if uh, Crazier do. things have happened. Um, looking at their schedule, basically they um, they have Colgate this year, which helps. That's a win. But other than that, the non-conference is not going to give them any respite. Mm-hmm. So uh, then ranking these uh, terrible quarterbacks. Holy cow. Like what? They're so bad. And and to be to the other point about the Pac-12, like when we're talking about like, hey, who was the stud quarterback in the Pac-12? It wasn't like. Was Justin Herbert better than like no? It was like, is Jaden Delora the best quarterback? <laughs> right. Is okay. So we got to rank these. How I'm going? Dylan Morris is the number one in that group. Uh, and he wasn't good. Could you go? Will Will Plummer had some moments. <sighs> I mean, Will Plummer's definitely top half in this group. But so all right. So I'm going Dylan Morris. Did, was Dylan Morris's like so like catering like he catered some like it was just he was just terrible he was time. really really bad um charlie brewer was bad but he wasn't like 
the worst quarterback in in history of the league. So he's top half too. I think it goes like this. I think it's Dylan Morris, Will Plummer, Brewer, Charlie Brewer, and then like, do we drop all the way down to Brendan Lewis? Then I think it's Brendan Lewis. Then I think it is uh, Jarrett Guarantano. Then uh, it's the Jack West uh, Gunner, Gunner Cruz, Cruz face off. Yeah, um, I th- I think. You go Cruz and West is the worst. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a big reason why Stanford was but. Yes. Just because, like, you had McKee. And then nothing. And you picked West oh, over him. Man. How did they do that? That's a that's a really tough list. Yeah, that's brutal. Because they're, like, these are all Pac-12 quarterbacks, by the way. Like, we, we have a list of seven quarterbacks that we can't decide who is worth a damn out of. Yeah. And they all played. Um, that's bad. All right, we got one last one. This is a text message, and it's a question for David. Is he merely, quote, whelmed with USC's transfer portal recruiting or is, quote, overwhelmed now? Keep up the good work, fellas. TK from Orange County. I am indeed now overwhelmed. Okay. And it's only going to get worse. (laughs) I don't like it. Um, picking Picking up, like, basically every meaningful interconference transfer like just loading up on the worst teams in the league's best players or friggin' Oregon's best running back. Frankly, Travis Dye was better than CJ Verdell every year. Can we finally have that conversation, everyone? Okay. He was better than CJ Verdell every single year. He's going to thrive in that offense. Mm-hmm. He's going to be friggin' great in that offense. Um uh Brendan Rice, Brandon Rice. Is it Brendan or Brandon? Um it's Bre- no, no, it's uh Brendan Rice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a stud. Athletic. Really good. Um, Austin Jones. He's good. Like, they're... they're was just, Austin Jones the best running back Stanford had, or did they have a better... Well, there was Probably they, the best, but he was... I think he was hurt last year, like, okay. a little bit. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's not good. They're going to get Caleb Williams, and that's not good. Um, <laughs> it's just... It's not fun. It's not enjoyable to watch this happen. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> What, how do you feel about this? I, I, I think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's bad. I don't like it. So <laughs> they, they suddenly have a top twelve recruiting class, guys. Do you remember when it was in like they the seventy? Players. Do you remember when it was in the seventies and we were all laughing? It was over a hundred. It was yeah. like a hundred. Do you remember something. that? Do you remember that, everyone? They're top twelve now when you factor in the transfers. Mm. It's not good, and they're going to get Caleb Williams, and then it's going to be top ten. Yeah, it's not good. Um, we don't like it. We'll see. We'll see what. Uh... We'll see what happens, but that was uh, that was a really good show. Um, I think we're gonna we gotta maybe we'll give a little heads up early. We'll try to get the uh, Pacific Northwest schools uh, maybe next week, and if we can't get if some of them can't do it, we'll we'll probably do the California schools. But two next shows: Pacific Northwest and California in some order. Um, and if you had some specific questions, you know, send them in for uh, those programs. If we see them early enough, we can try to ask. The various experts about that, but I, I like this one, David. Did you have a good time? It was a great show. I laughed. I cried. Mm. Um, I felt something tingle. I think you cried at the end a little. <laughs> I did. I with did. the whelmed. Yeah, I um, cried. I cried quite a bit. That was a big whine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that'll wrap it up uh, for David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast of Champions. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.